took the girls through the colored section of Rosedale, which spilled west onto Bruce Street from the tracks on the east side of town. Most Negro children didn't go to school, and those who did started only after the cotton was harvested, which was not until November. Their schoolhouse was more than a mile south of town, with its white clapboard walls running parallel to the cotton rows alongside the Rosedale Gin. Many of the children didn't know their birthdays or how to read, but Martha was friendly with them anyway. The Lum family grocery served mostly colored folk, so Martha learned to get along. After crossing Bruce Street, with its empty juke joints and pool halls, sagging with the weight of daybreak, the girls were on Main Street. There, in the center of town, was Rosedale's new courthouse. It was located directly in the middle of a central square, where Court Street ran westward over Main Street toward the Mississippi River. The remodeled building was designed to look modern, a streamlined, single-story accolade to a new era of justice in Rosedale. There was a new district attorney, a new county attorney, a new probate judge, and a new clerk. All that remained of the old county courthouse was its cornerstone. The two slabs of granite sat like grave markers beside the gleam of the new district court. At the end of Court Street was the Colonial Inn, a towering, white-brick structure with four columns that extended the entire elevation of the hotel. Inside its elegant facade, the inn was a home for recklessness. Visiting salesmen and cotton buyers would gamble, drink, and fight under the building's plaster pillars. So near to the levee, the colonel was a frequent stop for whiskey boats, or blind tigers as the locals called them. Mississippi bootleggers outfitted small river boats with casks of illegal corn whiskey and docked them behind the inn. The most famous blind tiger belonged to Perry Martin. Eight miles northwest of Rosedale, on an island in the middle of the river, Perry ran the largest whiskey-producing operation in the whole United States. Every variety of alcohol was considered contraband by the U.S. government, and Perry Martin's whiskey was no exception. He populated his island with an unruly throng of outlaws and fugitives. Rosedale mothers warned their children that just over the levee walls was whiskey territory, and nobody entered those woods without express permission. Continuing north along Main Street, at the intersection of Main and Clark, was the Talisman Theater. John Lobdell purchased the building in 1916, and eager to believe that a theater— and through it, the town, manifested the chivalry of ancient Scottish noblemen, named the place after a 19th-century novel by Sir Walter Scott. Just past the talisman was the local hat shop. Two spouseless Swiss sisters managed the millinery, Rosa and Molly Oberst. In the spring, when the sisters held their annual sale, society ladies in hobble skirts and side-laced heels teetered in the street, mud, shoe-top deep, to get a glimpse of the merchandise. A block and a half north was the Rosedale Consolidated High School, built directly beside the Episcopal Church that had been there since the Federals intervened after the war. Set against a dusty churchyard with tufts of scorched grass, the red brick building looked like a Spanish cathedral. The school used to be located in a two-story white frame house up on Levy Street, near the mansions of the aristocrats, who included Senator William Beauregard Roberts the first man in Rosedale to own a motorboat, an automobile, and a radio. The new brick schoolhouse was built after 1920, when Henry McGowan, the mayor of Beulah, petitioned to expand the county school district to include Beulah and Malvina. With taxes from an expanded district, the Rosedale Consolidated School was created. McGowan then became the first president of the school's board of trustees, and his sister-in-law, Mrs. Ray Wolfe, became the school's first teacher.
At the beginning of every year, Miss Ray, as the children called her, presented her class with a giant poster board creation designed to resemble the limbs of a tree. She then assigned each student a red, hand-cut paper apple with his or her name on it. To climb the tree, she explained, a student had to earn 100 points on the weekly spelling exam. With each perfect score, the apple moved closer and closer to the top of the tree. If a student failed, their apple fell to the ground and had to make its ascent all over again. Martha's name was always hovering somewhere in the upper branches of Miss Ray's misshapen tree. She was one of the top students in her class, even after the teachers decided she should skip a grade. She spent the last year in the same grade as her older sister, Berta. Unlike Martha, Berta was a rebellious child. Once, in third grade, she was nearly expelled for stabbing a girl with a pencil. Berta started fights, even when she knew she was licked. She called it courage.